today on Ag News Daily. So overall, we saw an improvement in plant growth by approximately 40% in our field trials. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Tech Tuesday day here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I'm Delaney Howell, one of your hosts, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, what do you know today? Oh, boy, Delaney, I know that it is windy, oh, windy, windy outside. So windy. I know I can hear it, like, creaking against my apartment windows. Yes, I was going to tell our listeners, if they hear any strange whistling or rattling, <laughs> it's the wind finding its way into every crack and crevice here in the old farmhouse at the Genuine Pearson Cattle Company headquarters. <laughs> oh, fancy, the Genuine Pearson Cattle headquarters. That's right. That's mm. right. It's, you know, the... The head of the ranch is, you know, here, and then the, you know, the ranch land extends for about six and a half acres in uh, three different directions. So, yeah. I want Big a time. fancy apartment or a name for my apartment now. Well, we can change the Ag News Daily mailing address to your apartment, and that can be our global headquarters. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Your your apartment can be corporate. Oh, I like that. Yep. Visit the corporate office. No, I don't need people visiting me in person. Well, I'm going to visit you because I'm going to need to get some money. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, speaking of getting that money, Delaney, we have meetings going on with China. Yes. We're trying to get that money from China. And uh, the Chinese, we don't know what's going on with the meetings. Uh, there have not been many announcements coming out of the trade delegation so far yet. They are still mm-hmm. in meetings. However, the Chinese government made an announcement today. They have approved uh, five new GM crops for import, and they announced it today basically trying to show that some good faith that they're opening up their markets a little bit to some of the high-quality uh food and fiber that we produce here in North America. So I thought that was pretty cool news. Yeah, I think part of that includes Enlist, the uh, yep. E3 one, Chrome Corn. Um, I don't, it's basically just numbers. S-Y-H-T-O-H-2 soybeans and a couple of canola crops and Monsanto's glyphosate tolerant canola. Yeah, so two different canola breeds, two soybeans, and a corn mm-hmm. were approved. And, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. The uh, BASF folks say that some of these have been held up in China yeah. for six years mm-hmm. waiting for approval. And now they figure that uh, canola growers in particular are going to produce $400 million more canola every year. And the reason I thought this was interesting is because canola is a competitor for soybean. Mm. And canola, we don't grow a whole lot of it here in the U.S. We see a little bit in Montana and North and South Dakota and some in Minnesota a little bit. But it's predominantly Canadian. Right. And so I think I read this as China saying, look, we're, we're trying to be more open. But also, they're trying to hedge their bets. This is going to allow Canada to grow a lot more exportable canola crop that China can purchase if they decide to keep their 25% soybean tariff in place. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting, too, to see with these new products approved, will it give, especially in the Dakota areas, which have been hit so hard this year by um, all the tariff stuff, will they see soybean acres switching into canola acres? 
Oh, yeah, they might. I don't know. You know, canola is one of my blind spots when Mm -hmm. it comes to agriculture, particularly these two uh, different varieties, the RF3 and the Mon 88302. I I don't know if those are suitable for the – I don't know anything about them. But, yeah, that's a good question. A lot remains to be seen. Yes. And it also, I think, is worth mentioning that five other products were seeking approvals were not given the green light, including two different GM alfalfa products and two other uh, DuPont soybean traits. Yes, yes, uh, two of those, uh, yeah, beans. Beans, beans, beans. <laughs> yeah, beans. Speaking of beans and beans and beans, oh, no. have, you, have you seen that? <laughs> no. So there's a there's a clip floating around on Twitter and on YouTube of President Trump saying billions. But with his New York accent, they play this. It's just Trump saying billions and billions and billions. But the way he says it, it sounds like he's just saying and beans 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 and beans. And every time I hear beans, I now think about that clip. I don't really feel like President Trump has an accent. Oh, really? No. He's like this your he's like the most New Yorker New Yorker there is. I mean I guess when he says huge, it's gonna be huge. Yeah, huge. And all that stuff. Okay, you know. I guess so. Let's see. This is I'll see if this works. I've never tried to play <laughs> audio on the podcast, but this is President Trump. Bidding's a So, you know, there we go. All right. Interesting. Well, um, I know you said we don't really have a lot of news coming out from the Chinese trade talks, and I would agree with you for the most part. However, we did see President Trump, speaking of President Trump, tweet out that, quote, talks with China are going very well. He tweeted that just Tuesday. And also, I saw some news today that said we're now looking at potentially extending the trade talks into a third day. It was supposed to be just Monday and Tuesday, but they're looking at now expanding it into a third day, I guess, because things have been going well. Oh, that's good news. Hopefully one more day and they're going to wrap this all up. The tariffs will all go away and we'll ship 15 million bushels of uh, 15 million metric tons of soybeans to China on Thursday. I hope so. Yeah, I don't think we will. (laughs) Probably not. But I'm a pessimist when it comes to this whole trade thing and I have been all year. I hope I am proved wrong this time. Hopefully, but likely not. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll We'll see. see. Yeah. We do have uh, the American Soybean Association has announced their policy priorities for 2019. And I thought I'd just drum this in there because it uh, certainly jives with what we're chatting about. The very tip top of their list of priorities is guess what, Delaney? Um, I don't know. Getting out exports. Ending the trade war with China. Yeah, okay. that's, uh, that's number one. They want China to do that. They also say they would like to see the U.S. double funding for the foreign market development and MAP export promotion programs, um, as well as continue to fund and upgrade the inland waterway. 
uh, system here in this country. Uh, they also say they want to stay focused on extending the biodiesel tax credit, mm-hmm. both retroactively for 2018 and extend it forward to 2023. And that is on the American Soybean Association's list of priorities for this year. Okay. Yeah. Still a slow uh, news week, obviously, listeners, as we're talking about uh, some stuff we probably wouldn't normally talk about. But I do have some, I would consider it more uh, exciting news. And that is dealing with the Supreme Court and kind of what we see for different states restricting the use of confinements in animal agriculture. So the U.S. Supreme Court has declined to consider challenges to a pair of state laws restricting the use of confinement use in animal agriculture in those two states. To no surprise, were California and Massachusetts laws, which improperly interfered with interstate commerce. But in both cases, all of the Supreme Court justices, except for one, Judge uh, Clarence Thomas, voted against basically allowing those states to interfere with confinement animal practices, such as using cages and egg production, confinements for hogs, etc. So I think okay. that's great. That we, yeah, I think it's a, a good sign that we saw the Supreme Court uh, continue to allow those decisions to be made at the producer level and not at the state level. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. That is, is always a good sign producers know what is best for their livestock. Do you have one other piece of um, news related to the Supreme Court and what's going on in our court systems? As we know, the EPA has started down the daunting path of rewide, rewriting the waters of the U.S. rule or hopefully just rolling back some of those proposals introduced during the Obama era, and it looks like through the newly proposed WOTUS rule, it would exempt groundwater directly from from federal jurisdiction, but President Trump's administration apparently has questions about whether pollutants released from point sources that reach jurisdictional waters via groundwater are covered, so they've asked the U.S. Department of Justice has filed an amicus brief with the U.S. Supreme Court asking the high court to consider this question as part of two requests for the court to hear related cases. On February uh, 20th, we saw a couple of cases come to fruition. So basically waiting for the Supreme Court to rule whether or not those those pollutants that eventually will reach a jurisdictional water should be uh, ruled or not ruled. And that's from a point source. That's yeah. the key. That's right. the key. So ag is still exempt because all of agriculture is considered a non-source or non-point source polluter. So that's the good news there for ag. Yes, good news At for least ag. as I interpret it. I think so. I think that sounds yeah. right. Basically, this is if you're running a coal mine and you're dumping coal slag into a waterway and it eventually reaches the Mississippi, are you liable for it? I think that's what they're talking about. I think that sounds right. Well, I also have some Supreme Court news that is hitting the world of agriculture, Delaney. What's that, Mike? Well, it's not the U.S. Supreme Court. It's India's Hmm. Supreme Court. They ruled earlier today that Monsanto can claim patents on Ah. its GM cotton seeds. And uh, this is one of the things we talked about when it first went to the Supreme Court, probably six or seven months ago. And uh, Monsanto and, and, you know, of course, now... uh, uh, you know, that's Bayer and BASF and Corteva and all of these other players were saying, you know, the Supreme Court in India could rule against us 
And then we'd have no incentive to continue to mm-hmm. produce GM crops for that country. So this stands to reason that we are going to see biotech continue to roll out in uh, India, which uh, probably good news, certainly good news for Indian growers and, uh, you know, good news for uh, for the world, I suppose. I suppose you're probably right there. And I think it just is good because it protects. I mean, really, there's no incentive if you're not going to be protected to right. continue to to share the technology. Exactly. It's all about them dollar dollar bills, y'all. Okay. Cash rules everything around me, Delaney. Name that singer. Uh, I don't know. Wu-Tang Clan, cream, get the money, y'all. Cream, get the money. Great. Anyway, that's a little Tuesday afternoon rapioki for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Do you have any other news for us today, Delaney? I don't, Mike. I'm all out. All right, I just have one update. House Ag Democrats have announced their uh, several list of hearings they're going to be holding. As you've talked about, they are going to mm-hmm. continue hearing, uh, having hearings on the SNAP waiver situation and how they can undo the changes that uh, USDA put into place here just at the end of the old Congress. They want to delve into Secretary Sonny Perdue's plans to move the Economic Research Service and the National Institute of Food and Ag out of Washington, D.C. They generally don't like that idea. They want to have some more hearings, get to the bottom of it. And they've also got several subcommittees who are planning hearings on USDA's trade relief program for farmers and ranchers. Uh, basically, some of the lawmakers have criticized the current MFP payments as being in ac- inadequate. I'm thinking here about corn growers and their one penny a bushel. And it sounds like the uh, new Congress is going to do a little digging, do a little investigation. I think it's crazy, too. I was reading something that said today was the 18th day of the government shutdown, and it's like the longest shutdown, I think, in all of the history of government shutdowns. Huh. You know, it's probably helpful that it came over the holiday break. Yeah. So it's, even though it's long, it doesn't really feel like it's been all right, that long. Right, because they weren't going to do anything anyways during that time. Right, right. And, you know, we've heard all of this about federal workers not being paid, and that's true, mm-hmm. if the shutdown goes past the 11th. That's when their first paychecks their for first this furlough. year are going to be cut. Mm. So, so far, as I understand it, nobody has missed any paychecks. Well, that's good. Yeah. Federal employees, if we have any of you listening and I'm wrong, by all means, let us know. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Ag News Daily. But that was a report I read off the Internet. So I have every reason to believe <laughs> it is a highly yeah, accurate. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, well, highly accurate. We always can trust the folks at the Chicago Board of Trade, Delaney, when it comes to market pricing. What do you think? Should we take a look and see where the market's closed for the day? Let's do it, Mike. All right. And another list of people you can always trust are our friends at Zaner. They can help you stick to a marketing plan, so give them a shout at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at zaner.com. We've got some red on the screen today to start it off in the grain markets. March corn down two and a quarter on the day at 380 even. The May contract also down two and a quarter to close at 388. In soybeans, first day of their pullback after that pretty substantial rally over the past several days. The January contract was down six cents at 906 and a quarter. The March down five and three quarters to finish at 918 and a half. Looking at Chicago wheat, the March contract was up a penny on the day at 5.17 and three quarters. The May up two cents to finish at 5.23 and a half. 
Jumping over to the world of livestock, we had quite a bit of excitement in February live cattle. That contract was up $2.10, closed at 125.30. The April up $1.0750 to finish at 126.15. Strength carried over into the feeder cattle market with the January contract up $1.62 and a half at 147.62.50. The March up $1.55 to finish at 145.45. In lean hogs, we saw mixed trade today with the February contract up 70 cents at 62.60 and the April down 35 to close at 66.02 and a half. Looking over to the world of dairy, we've got the January Class 3 milk contract dropped a nickel at 14.09 with February down 15 cents to finish at 14.42. For our hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion, we're going to delve into the photosynthetic glitch. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we're going to be chatting about some very fascinating stuff with Dr. Paul South, who is a research molecular biologist with USDA's ARS. Dr. South, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you for having me. So to get right into it here, we came across this article, and we'll be sure to share it on our Facebook and Twitter at Ag News Daily. It's basically talking about this shortcut that you guys have engineered or worked on here, the photosynthetic glitch. Dr. I'll break that down for us. For those of us that aren't very science uh, science heavy, what is the photosynthetic glitch? Certainly. So uh, photosynthesis, um, as everyone you know, gets to learn in their high school biology courses, is the conversion of sunlight energy into plants um, and it's really important for absolutely everything that we eat on this planet. And so everything that we, you know, sit down at our dinner table with ultimately came from photosynthesis at some some point. And this glitch is actually uh, has to do with the enzyme that's responsible for taking carbon dioxide from the air and converting it into the sugars and the plant matter that we eat. <clears throat> and the glitch comes from um, a mistake that this enzyme makes, and this enzyme is called Rubisco. And instead of taking carbon dioxide, about 20% of the time it grabs an oxygen instead. What happens is, is then it goes through um, its biochemical reaction and it produces a toxic compound called glycolate. Now, plants evolved a pretty energy expensive and um, complicated process that converts this glycolate back into something that the plant can use but at the cost of losing some of the carbon dioxide that it's already taken, as well as using a lot of energy. I was just going to say, so it sounds like from the front end of this, that we're looking at a plant with an enzyme that occasionally gets confused, and that causes it to make pretty expensive mistakes. Is that a, a liberal arts way of explaining what we're working with? That's a pretty good explanation, and it's, and it's um, actually the majority of the plants on the planet. So uh, plants like soybeans, wheat, rice, and all of our fruits and vegetables have this enzyme, Rubisco, um, and actually all plants that do photosynthesis have this enzyme, but the ones where it becomes a problem are those types of plants. And what we've done is mm. we've tried to engineer a shortcut to uh, deal with this in more, uh, or more or less in a cheaper way of doing it. How did you come across this photosynthetic glitch in the first place? Sure. And so uh, scientists have been studying this process of photorespiration for decades. And um, they know that it has a significant um, drag on uh, plant production and agriculture. So um, if you're thinking about soybeans in the Midwest United States, every year um, approximately this causes a 36% reduction in, in 
in uh, yields. So uh, it has been a target for many years for people to try to make improvements. And um, in this case, what we've done is, is we've taken two previously studied uh, shortcuts and one that I've created on my own and tested them in real-world agricultural conditions to see uh, which one would end up being the best. So how do these shortcuts work? What is it that you're changing in the seed or in the plant to enable it to, to this Rubisco to be smarter about the choices it's making for oxygen versus carbon dioxide? Sure. So in this case, we're not actually um, limiting or reducing the uh, ability of the Rubisco to recognize this oxygen versus carbon dioxide, but instead we've shortcutted the biochemical process of photorespiration. And so that one uh, process involves uh, multiple compartments within the plant cells itself in the leaf. And what we've done is, is I've included um, new pieces of DNA to produce enzymes that will shortcut this all within one location, um, simplifying the number of steps it would take to recycle this toxic compound. So this might be a silly question, but would something like this be considered a genetically modified organism? Yes, it would be. So in this case, um, the most successful um, engineering attempt that we've we've made uh, uses an, uh, one enzyme from green algae and another enzyme that is normally only present in plants um, when the plants are first germinating before they actually are performing any photosynthesis. So we've taken some genes, um, inserted these into the uh, plant genome under a, a different way of controlling them, and then at the same time used a process called RNA interference. And this is a process where you can target um, genes inside a plant genome and shut things off. So what we did was is we shut off the native photorespiration biochemical pathway so that everything has to go through our shortcut instead. Huh. Now, other than taking the shortcut to improve the elimination of this toxin, do you get any other benefits by improving photosynthesis in this way? So overall, we saw an improvement in plant growth by approximately 40% in our field trials. And so this, in, um, in this case, it resulted in more stem and leaf material. And it also uh, caused a approximately um, five-day faster uh, plant development. So not only are we getting more plant material, but we possibly are getting it faster. And so when we see this uh, technology transferred into food crops, we're hoping to see both. We're hoping to see um, more seed yields in the product of the um, food that we want to eat from a plant, as well as potentially getting these um, faster than the normal growing seasons that we've already seen. So from a very basic standpoint, let's look at it from a producer standpoint. What, as a producer, should I be doing or can I be doing, or is this just something that's going to roll up for commercialization sometime in the near future? Uh, certainly. So this kind of technology, is, um, as well as all other GMO technologies, has to go through some rigorous testing to make sure that the regulatory agencies approve it for both environmental impact and nutritional quality. So it's going to approximately be a minimum of at least a 10 more years or so uh, before this would be something ready for commercialization. Uh, but it is definitely something hopeful that when um, we do future experiments in food crops, um, even if a little bit of this translates into um, the products that we're looking for in terms of food security, uh, could go a long way in producing more food on less land. 
Well, now, and let's talk about that a little bit, Dr. South. You've mentioned soybeans being uh, one of the crops where we could utilize this and have some pretty big effects. But there are, as you mentioned, you know, pretty much every crop has this. Where do you expect to see the biggest, I want to say, bang for our buck or, or the biggest ROI when it comes to putting this technology into use around the globe? Sure. And so um, the funding agencies that are funding this research project, which is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as well as the Department for International Development in the United Kingdom and the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research here in the United States, um, not only are crops like soybeans, which are uh, very important commercially here in the States, uh, focused, but other crops such as cow pea, which is black-eyed peas, as well as um, some root crops like potato and cassava are important in um, developing countries in places like sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia. So we are looking at a wider range of uh, different <coughs> food crops that this could be a benefit in. Um, it would be interesting to see you know, which types of crops might get the best improvement from this. Um, but one of the current experiments that are ongoing at the moment are with uh, potato plants. And the nice thing about those is that um, we're hoping that the more photosynthesis that we can be doing in a shorter period of time, um, if this is really what is improving their efficiency, could lead to more tubers, whereas um, other plants where the seed is our main source of food crop, uh, we might not see more flowers that produce more seeds in the end. So it might be something along the lines of a crop that could give us the biggest benefits. Fascinating. So not only could we see uh, a change here in commercial crops, like you mentioned, that we're typically familiar with, but as you talk about potatoes, we'll see more tubers. Is there any chance, Dr. South, that the potatoes are going to get larger and we could increase our overall French fries supply here in the United States? <laughs> I mean, that would be great. I love myself some French fries, and so uh, it'd be an interesting thing <laughs> to see. Um, I guess that's something that uh, only time will tell. You said that you've used potatoes, and then the article that we, uh, Mike and I both have read said you tested your hypothesis initially in tobacco plants. Is there a reason that you've gone about testing those crops specifically first instead of, you know, I guess I'm thinking more traditional agriculture like soybeans or rice or corn? Sure. And so um, in terms of corn, uh, corn actually does a, a different type of photosynthesis called C4, which is already an evolved process that um, actually limits the process of photorespiration. So the um, engineering technology that we've come up with in this case would um, probably have little impact on, on photosynthesis in corn. Um, but the reason why we picked tobacco is, is because it's an ideal model system. It's very easy to manipulate genetically, so getting these genes into the plant is quite easy. And it has a very short life cycle of only about three months from seed to seed. Um, so this is just able to rapidly test these um, different types of experiments much more quickly than if we were going to use soybean for that matter. And then um, in terms of we went uh, to potato and why, um, even though we haven't published any research on that, we have ongoing experiments. Is, uh, Tobacco is actually a close relative of the potato plant, so we didn't have to modify any of the DNA going from tobacco into potato in this case. And Dr. Paul South, as we look ahead to the future, as you mentioned, it might be 10 years before this is commercially available. What is the next step for you on the research side as you're continuing to delve into this photosynthetic glitch? 
Sure. And so uh, one of the things we're doing, um, other than moving these into um, agriculturally important food crops instead of just tobacco, is looking at uh, the effects on uh, soil as well as uh, other environmental effects that could potentially have a benefit if we have this installed, such as um, elevated temperatures or increased drought conditions. And so comparing these two different types of conditions that plants in the field experience and then uh, really trying to get a really good handle on the biochemistry and how um, making this engineering um, attempt really affects overall plant biochemistry. Fascinating stuff. Dr. Paul South from the USDA ARS, thanks for taking the time to talk to us and for filling us in on the research that's happening over there in Illinois. Thank you very much. Well, again, a big thank you to Paul South. Interesting stuff that they're doing over there, Mike, and I think he did a really great job of explaining it in kind of more layman's terms because you and I are definitely not scientists. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think I get it, and I'm pretty excited to see it eventually become commercially uh, available. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, really, really changing for agriculture. It's a game changer. A game changer. Well, it's also a game changer, or you can share with us game changers that are happening in your segment of the industry by finding us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily in both places. Tell us what's going on. Tell us what stories we're missing and need to be covering. And you can also listen to past episodes on our website. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. It will take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network, a collection of very high-quality podcasts all centered around agriculture. Be sure to check out all the rest of them there. And uh, I don't know, with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.